Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. This message is the last stop. You either understand these principles and develop from the heart a personal relationship with God that puts you in a place where you can live toward this world from a place of completeness and spirit, but with a sense of purpose, or grace is just another thing for you that you can't get to work and then you, you move on, or you're done. D- does that make sense? Because that's the thing. It's like, and it's not that we have to figure out how to try to get grace to work. It's just that are we honest enough with ourselves where we are where we are going to open ourselves up to allow God to transform us. Because that's what we all need. You don't need another sermon. You don't need another church service. You don't need to read another book. You need to experience transformation. You could never go to church again for the rest of your life. But I hope you have a place to experience some transformation. I hope you have a place to challenge you to give up what you think about God that's limiting you and open your heart to allow Him and His Spirit to actually influence you. See, because we don't have to try to figure out how to get grace to work. We don't have to try to figure out how to get anything to work, but just trust that His Spirit is working. And as we trust that His Spirit is working, He'll teach us. You know, the thing about God's knowledge is that it's more intuitive than it is intellectual. Does that make, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's more, you know, when you're a thinker like me, it's like it can be frustrating. Because like, I want to think it through here. But no, his knowledge is more intuitive. It's more of a knowing. It's more of a spiritual knowledge is, is, is grasped and understood in the context of faith. And I don't mean faith from the perspective that's like, I don't get it, but I'm just going to, I just have to believe it. I mean faith that actually produces the satisfaction that understanding produces. There's a difference. Faith can produce even better fulfillment than understanding can. I'm working on it. <laughs> a third way. I'm trying to think of the words. I like to say things about eight different ways, different words. It's funny because in the Netherlands, you'll say something and they'll look at you. And then we'll say, I'll say it again using different words. Oh, I'll get that. It's like they were telling me how bad the Dutch language is for conceptualizing like ideas because it's very limited. And it's, you know, I never knew that. So I would say something and I would say it four or five different ways. And I would hear them use the same words each time. <laughs> And I'm like, no, I said this. And they'd say, yeah, but we don't have a word for that. This is, this, you know, it's interesting. Things you learn. But, uh, you know, faith, faith, is a, faith is born in you meditating on what Jesus did for you on the cross. And then that produces such a peace, such a satisfaction where you're not on a binge for information. You're not on a hunt for knowledge because you've got the mind of Christ. And what is it? What does Christ not know? Is there anything he doesn't know? Is there anything that's not working in his life? We have his mind. 
we have his faith and and I, I wish there was a way to actually verbalize some of these spiritual concepts it, there's not there's just let's prevent let's just let's present the environment and it's up to you to have this relationship with God amen Y'all been here for a while, most of you, so it seems like you're on that path. But, you know, it's like you watch and you look and you listen and you pray and you realize, man, I, I am a pebble on the beach. You know, there is such a big world out there and really the only thing we can do is pray on some levels. You can make direct impact in some people's lives, but man, we've got, we've got to pray. But we have to pray from a place of completeness in and of ourselves with optimism toward the world. A lot of people are praying looking at the darkness. You know, I hear statements like the world is plunging into darkness. It's getting darker. It's getting worse. The gays are taking over. The drugs are getting legal. It's like, really? Because what I see is the church actually preaching the gospel probably more than ever before on the planet. I see on the planet, people's hearts that have just human value like never before. The abortion rate is actually going down in this country. Did you know that? Yes. Through awareness, through knowledge. I mean, you got this Planned Parenthood thing that's like people are finally seeing what it's really about. And you know what's happening? Even liberals are saying, ooh, oh, I don't really think I want to support that, you know, because you see, when you see truth, you know, there's something about truth and death and, and, and the rawness of life that when you see it, it kicks something in in you that makes you look for goodness and makes you look for ways to, to, to find righteousness and holiness rather than your excuses and your dogmas and your political agendas, you know, and, and I, I, I wish it's like, this is really kind of crazy sounding, but I wish there was a way that we could put everybody at the brink of the fear of death and see what happens. <laughs> I'm serious. When you face death, man, a lot of your junk just like, oh, I, don't really, I don't really need that anymore. What the heck was I thinking with that, you know? Even the way that you look at the world, it just changes. So... Where I'm going over this next probably five, six weeks, I don't know, it's going to be really hovering around the idea of wisdom. Wisdom, it starts with worship. Worship starts with a response of what God has done for us through Christ. Wisdom is not about getting information and knowing what to do. Wisdom is about being led and taught of the Spirit from an intuitive place that you may not intellectualize, but you walk through this life undergirded by the completed work of what Christ has done for you, and you find yourself in situations realizing, man, this could only be God, because I wasn't even thinking about this. You know, I want it to be where our Christianity, it does filter up, and we have, you know, we do have the information in our brains and the knowledge, but, but where we easily and effortlessly follow God because we are recreated beings that hear His voice. You hear His voice better than you think that you do. It's only when you're really trying to hear it is when you think that you're not hearing it. 
So we're in this paradox of life, right? Paradoxes, two seemingly opposing realities. And I'm not saying the truth is in the middle. You know, there's a lot of talk about tension. It's like, well, on one hand, you got, we want to trust God and all, experience all his promises for us where we're not experiencing sickness and financial lack and we're at peace and our marriage is good and everything's happy for us. And then again, on the other side of the world, there are people that are being tortured and starved and beaten and murdered. You know, it's like, I'm, I, don't, I don't want that to create a tension for you. What I want us to be able to do is look at where we are and, and appreciate where we are and not have a false sense of humility where we have to pull our expectations down because of what someone else is experiencing on the planet but that we elevate, even in what we do have, even to the, not boastfully, not arrogantly, but we, we, we have value and we're thankful for the prosperity that we are experiencing as a way to reach into the darkness. Some people look at the darkness and they think, well, golly, I, I, I've, I've got too much. I need to suffer a little bit. I need to, I, you know, I... I'm a terrible person because I have this and they don't have that. And so it's an external thing and we evaluate ourselves based on externals rather than realizing we're new creatures in Christ. They may or may not be. Let's pray from the spiritual side of it rather than looking at the need and the lack and it, it, it bringing us down in the process. So it's a, it's a paradox. It's being thankful for where you are and what you have and not being guilted because of the, the lack and poverty that someone else is experiencing, yet looking at that and from your position being able to do something about it. See, we're in this paradox of knowing that we're complete in Christ, knowing that we have every blessing that God ever has promised to anybody. It's yes for you. And, and God requires nothing of you but believe on Christ. And once you do, you can sit back, eat potato chips, pick your belly button for the rest of your life, and God would be just as pleased with you. God would be just as much madly in love with you as if you were Billy Graham running the planet getting, leading millions to the kingdom. See, it's the paradox. You have to know you're complete. You have to know your acceptance. Then... Step out into your call. Then step out into your purpose. Don't let lack in the world drive your sense of purpose in this world. Your purpose is to be God's child. Your call might be associated with lack in the world, but it's that paradox. It's, it's, it's knowing you're complete, but yet seeking to fulfill your call. How many of you want to fulfill the call of God on your life? Everybody raise your hand. John, raise your hand. <laughs> I'm just messing with him. How many of you have ever felt guilty because you feel like you're not fulfilling the call? Yeah. And this is, this is not about looking for an excuse to be inactive, but it's looking, it's looking at who we are and what we are spiritually to understand the freedom that we have in Christ so that we then steward that freedom well.
You know, we don't want the freedom that we have, in other words, the prosperity that you might be experiencing, the, the condition of your marriage is wonderful, the whatever freedoms that you have, in other words, freedoms that other people may not be experiencing, you don't want those freedoms to be a sense of guilt for you to drive what you think you're supposed to do in this world. Does that make sense? You know, we, we want to wake up every day and have the attitude that is a bit paradoxical that I could go sit on the beach, enjoy the sunset, have fun with my family, and, and be just as fulfilled as if today I wake up and I travel to Syria and somehow there's a supernatural bubble around me where I'm not getting my head cut off and I see millions come to the Lord and see millions of miracles all around me. You know, either one should be just as satisfying because we're in Christ. Either one of those scenarios should be just as gratifying because we know that we're a child of God first. Then we move out into our purpose. I've got a few scriptures here that, uh, that, are, that were rolling around in my, in my mind and heart when I was thinking about all this stuff. But it, I was thinking about Solomon in Ecclesiastes. Have you ever read Ecclesiastes? It's interesting. Because Solomon, you know, the wisest man on the planet, uh, comes down toward the end of his life. And Ecclesiastes was probably written later on in his life where he's a man looking back on his life and he had everything. And he tried everything. And he comes up with this statement. <laughs> he's like, vanity, vanity, everything's vanity. Or meaningless, meaningless, everything's meaningless. It's like a guy looking back on his life and he says, you know what? I've had the big houses. I've had the big cars. You know, cars. He says, I've had the, the slaves and the concubines and the this and the that. And I've tried the foods and I've tried. And it's all worthless. I see, that, I see that there are people in lack. And I see that there are people that are rich. And I see the wicked being made rich. And I see the just being made poor. And I see all blah, blah, blah. And he's, and he's just whining and complaining and moaning and groaning and thinking humanistically, thinking with his mind. This is where the world is. Sometimes this is where the Christian world is in an in a ecclesiastical mindset of looking at the world and judging God by the condition of the world. Because really that's what he's doing. He's like, I see the, the trouble that God has laid on mankind. I see that this, I see that that, and it's all meaningless. You're thinking, dang, Solomon. Really? That's that's a, you know, I'm not sure I'm really digging your attitude here. Now, that might not be what everybody gets out of Solomon, because in the middle of it, he'll say things. Like, if you've got a Job mentality, you think that, that it's holy to value suffering, and that's your path to righteousness, you're going to look at Solomon and be cheering, cheering him on. But if you realize you're complete in Christ... And you can either look at the world through carnal eyes or spiritual eyes. You realize he's got a bad attitude. Am I telling you the truth? Okay. I'm not trying to, you know, I mean, who's Solomon? Who am I? You got the richest, most wise man on the planet ever. Anyway. So he comes down to this. This is one of his last statements. Because Ecclesiastes is interesting. He'll say something that, that it's like, if you don't realize that he's looking at the world through carnal eyes, you'll think the statements that he says about God are confusing and may even adopt wrong thinking about God. Because he'll say things like, 
God, you put unjust weights on people. Now, does God do that? No. It's like Job. You've got to realize Job was looking at the world carnally. God showed up, called him to the carpet, Job repented, and then he got spiritualized. And he realized, oh, wow, yeah, I repent. I changed my mind. I didn't know what I was talking about. I heard about you, but I didn't know you. See, in a sense, you're having a Job experience. You'd heard about God, but now you know God. How do you know God? Well, that's up to you. How bad you want to know him. So, in Ecclesiastes 9.11, Solomon comes down to one of his moments of clarity, and, he'll, and he says different things. And he does it all through Ecclesiastes. He'll say something really whiny and complaining. He'll make an accusation toward God, and then he'll say something that's like, wow, that's... Okay, he's flipping. This guy's, this guy's schizo... I'm not going to say that. I don't want to... I'm not trying to dishonor. I'm just trying to show the difference of what we do. Even one of the most prominent men in the Bible, when they flip back and forth between carnal thinking and spiritual thinking. So in this verse 9, or chapter 9, verse 11, um, I'm just going to run through these so you don't necessarily have to follow me, uh, Philip, but... He says, Ecclesiastes 9.11, I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong. So you don't have to be the fastest to win God's race. Nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned. This is going to be the uh, King James, or I mean the NIV. So look at this last statement here. He says, but time and chance happens to them all. Time and chance happens to every one of us. And then you look in Proverbs 22, verse 3. It says, The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Prudent means acting with or showing care or thought for the future. So Solomon presents this idea that he's like, you know what, it's not about who's the smartest, who's the fastest, who's got the most money, who's got the most food, who's got the most resources. <clears throat> it's about time and chance. And are you at a place in your heart where when your moment of opportunity comes, you can walk in wisdom and move forward in what God has for you. The things that he's trying to bring into your life. Are you at a place where you can recognize the opportunity and move forward into it. See, we're so desperate that we miss genuine opportunities when God brings something along our path because, we're number one, we're trying to tell God how to bring things to us, and we're so focused on it happening one specific way that when something else comes that's just slightly out of view, we don't recognize it because it's not fitting into our box that we're trying to force God into how He can move in our lives. You have the broadest perspective of what God can do in your life when you're at peace. If your view of what God can do in your life or your specific situation is feeling limited, I can promise you, you're probably not at peace. You're worried. You're fearful. You're thinking about money. You're thinking about what's going to happen to the people in the situation. But step back, get to a place of peace where, like Paul says, Philippians 4, 6, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for what He's done. 
You know, it's like he presents this way of living that's a paradox. Don't worry. Pray. That means when you pray, it shouldn't be worry-fueled. You know, what, 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 what inspires your prayer shouldn't be what you're worrying about. When you pray, you first recognize what he's done. Because the, then he backs it up. He says, tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. And here's the secret. God knows what you need. Amen. He said it. He says, I already know what you need. But will you just be real with me? You know, will you come to me and open your heart to me and quit playing the game? Because sometimes I don't recognize your voice because you're masking it through whatever you think holiness looks like in front of me. And just be honest. Even if it's sin, if it's pain, if it's, if it's feeling like, God, I, I don't feel like my life counts. I feel like I'm doing something now that, that I never thought this would happen and it's the exact opposite of what I want to be doing. You might be in that kind of a situation. But if you're letting that drag you down, realize it's just, it's just a decision away. It's a perspe- you're a perspective away of allowing God to lead something else across your path and lead you into something else because He has good plans for you, plans to prosper you, plans to bring you to an expected end that is full of hope. And if we're looking back or we're looking to at our shoes where we are in this moment, we're going to miss. Now, see, I'm not trying to, I don't want us to then shift gears into like a charismatic mindset where we've got to figure out, okay, well, how do I hear God to recognize the next opportunity? No, this this is the part where it's difficult for me to explain because the, the, the goal or the desire would be that we are so convinced of his love for us We are so persuaded because of what He did for us on the cross that our inner world is governed by that. And that inner place will put you in a place where when things come across your path that are godly, you'll recognize it. You'll know and you'll move into it. Does that make sense? It's like when your inner world is heavenly, you'll recognize when heaven is in front of you. When your inner world is chaotic, you're going to look for chaos. You're going to invite chaos. We attract what we hold in our hearts. And because it's familiar in our hearts and it's familiar out here, we'll choose destruction. We'll choose chaos because that's what's going on inside of us. You know, I hate the pain, but that's what's in my heart. So I'm going to keep making the same kinds of decisions that keep me in the same kinds of situations. See, I think that's what Jesus meant when he said, the devil comes, but he's got nothing in me. There was nothing at all in Jesus that would resonate with anything that was anti-God or anti-kingdom or anti-Christ. There was nothing in Jesus that, would, that created a deficit or a sense of lack to the degree that something carnal motivated him. You know, it's about creating this inner world. It's about connecting to this peace that he has for us, opening your heart and allowing Christ to dwell in your heart by faith. Then a little further down, he says in Philippians 4, you know, Philippians 4, 6 is where he says, don't worry about anything, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for what He's done. 
Verse 11, Philippians 4. Paul's continuing on and he says, Not that I was ever in need for what I have learned, how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. You know, contentment in anything. But not allowing your expectation to be robbed when your current situation is low. Because our expectation should always be heaven on earth. Our expectation should always be the best of the best of what God has for me is possible in this situation. And, and you, don't get, you don't then go to condemnation and guilt about why you're not experiencing it. Forget about why you're not experiencing it. Even if you had the answer of why, what does it matter? Just stay focused on the promise on what he says is possible. And your emotions will change themselves to match those truths. What's, what, you, what you think about the world, how you even see the world will change. You know, it's fun, and I'm not the model, and I don't even know what this means, but when I, when I pray, you know, and I pray that our prayer ministry in this church even rises up a little bit more. If you have prayer on your heart, and it's one of the things that you like to do, you know, we're looking at the Wednesdays in between when we do the classes, have just <coughs> prayer nights, and, and whatever it is that's, that we all feel led to pray, we do. But like when I start praying, I'll pray for, I pray for you guys individually in the church. We've got a list and we look at everybody that's coming and all that and we pray through it. And, and then I start thinking, okay, well, so then there's the county. Then there's the state. Then there's the And the next thing I know, I'm standing on the moon looking at the planet just praying. You know, in my mind, it's like, how can you stop praying for anything but the entire planet? That's just how it works for me. And sometimes it feels like so overwhelming because there's, so much happening. You know, we've just come through a cycle where people were expecting a financial judgment on America on September the 13th because we are somehow spiritual Israel. Now, I'm really not trying to be maybe a little critical. There's a very popular way of thinking out there that says that the U.S. is spiritual Israel because of, you got to do some real fancy exegesis to get, get us to a place like that. So there was supposed to have been, on the 13th of this month, a judgment on our financial system. Now, the market's up and down. The market's always up and down. But basically, the 13th came and went, nothing really happened. The 23rd of this month was maybe supposed to be the end or maybe supposed to be when the Large Hadron Collider in Switzerland did its thing and it opened up a slit in the space-time continuum and the demons came out of the pit and wreaked havoc on the planet. We had a great 23rd. I had a great 23rd. <laughs> Tonight is the fourth of a series of lunar eclipses that happens to be on Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. See, here's the thing. We have to realize Jesus is the fulfillment of the feasts and rituals and all of that stuff. The timeline that God is following is what Jesus has accomplished, 
not what he was going to come and accomplish. Now, I, I'm not saying don't look at feasts and all that stuff, and, and, and I'm not trying to just totally invalidate that, but don't judge what God is trying to do in your life and on this planet by a system that, God, that Jesus already completed. Jesus fulfilled the law. Part of the law was the feasts and festivals and rituals. You know, I really don't know how to more simply explain that. Now, there are people which I love that deeply hold to a very soon and imminent end. And you know what? Let's go. Jesus, come quickly. But it's the paradox, right? It's the paradox. Sometimes, that's like a way you can get out of blaming people or pointing the finger. Sometimes people say, they, those people over there, uh, are looking for an escape, are looking for something that takes away the responsibility to trust God, walk out your call, and make an impact in this world. Now, if the rapture's tomorrow, let's go. But if it's not, let's walk with a deep sense of purpose, planning for the next thousand years. A righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. I am righteous. I want to function on this planet in such a way where I am looking up, but it's so that the kingdom would be established. You know what I mean? It's like it's the paradox. Any moment, the end could come. I don't really know what all that's going to look like. I'm waiting on the resurrection is what I'm waiting on. And if that's tomorrow, it's tomorrow. But if we've got 2,000 more years, what are we doing with our lives to see the increase of the kingdom? Look up, but live in such a way where you've got a long time on this planet and believers have a long time on this planet to see the stone that destroyed all of the kingdoms of this world eventually take over the planet. To see the seed of the kingdom that was planted in this earth in Christ and now in your heart continue to grow until it takes over the whole world. I think we're seeing the effects of the kingdom. Whether some people call it Christianity or not, mercy and goodness and genuine brotherly kindness and love on a scale like the world has never seen has been happening on this planet. Now, you can see it totally the opposite way. Everything's getting darker. Everything's getting darker. Well, you know what? 200 years ago, there were not people in Noonan that were worried about kids in Africa and whether or not they had food to eat. I mean, I, I, unless they are just evil, it'd be, you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody on this planet that wasn't interested in the, the condition of people's lives all over the world getting better. I think that's an influence of the kingdom. That's, a, that's an impact of the kingdom having been released through Christ and his whole spirit having been poured out onto this planet now. You know, interesting, G Peter stood up and said, this is what Joel prophesied out about, that in the last days God would pour out his spirit. Well, that's 2,000 years ago. If you want to be technical, the last days started with, at Pentecost. That could have been the last days of the oppressive Levitical priesthood system where 
God related to us based on how well we kept our rituals. But that's another conversation, you know. It's probably about as far as I want to go on that because I don't, I don't know. What I do know is we're in this paradox. Look up, but plan. The righteous sees ahead and makes provision. The prudent man sees ahead, sees danger coming, or just sees ahead in general and follows God through the process. So what does the paradox look like for you? You know, when you wake up in the morning, when you come to church, because this is what I've been thinking about, you know, while you're gone, you start thinking about, well, I want to get back and I want to do these things. And as a pastor, man, you know, we want to see growth. And we're seeing a lot of growth. We see visitors in this place all the time. But it's just like, we want, we want to do this. We want to make an impact in the community. We want to make an impact in the world. We want to create some courses. We want to do this. And you know, and you end up just wearing yourself out mentally because all the stuff you want to do. I, you do it, I do it. I know you do it. You do it in your life. You do it in your jobs. You do it in your marriages. And, and, and so what we do is we become addicts. An addict, you know, like a drug addict. A lot of us have swapped drug addiction for religion addiction. I'm tell, you know, interesting the way addiction works. Addiction, if you're a pothead, your addiction drives you to a place where you just sit and do nothing. You have no expectations. You're totally fine with that. You know, a cokehead, you're always trying to reach that, that high again. An addict, physiologically, is always trying to match or top the last high that they got. Now, think about it for a minute. An addict... That's why they become, there is a physical chemical dependency on the drug itself that happens, but it's the experience that they're looking for as well. And the thing about drugs is you never quite get as high as you did the last time. You might get more messed up, but that euphoric sense never really happens again. And so an addict is always on search to top the last high and, just ne and it always falls a little bit short. Religion is the same way. We're always looking for that next experience that matches the last experience, and we're always slightly disappointed. Maybe we rise up a little bit, and it's like, oh, wait a minute. And we wake up the next morning, and we're back to life again, right? Back to life, back to reality. I'm not going to sing it for you, but <laughs> that's what we do with religion. That's what the charismatic culture has, man, masterfully, negatively created an addiction mentality in the church to always look for that next thing that's just out of reach, but I know it's there and it's coming and I'm going to get it. And then you get disappointed. Does that, has your Christianity ever been like that? Well, maybe this meeting is going to be the meeting that starts the revival. And when the revival happens, then I get to do this. And when this, when I get to do this, then it, you know, in the church, I call it revival mentality, addiction mentality. Now, I'm not talking about what I just described as far as having an op optimistic expectation to see the increase of the kingdom on the planet. That's different from a revival mentality. Revival mentality is I'm just, there's always something that's getting ready to happen. I'm, I'm not complete where I am now. So God's got to do something on this planet that gives me something that's not in me now, that draws me into this situation that I perceive as lack. And, you know, and we, and we get in a tizzy mentally because we're not rooted in our completeness in Christ 
and we're just always looking for what the next thing is. I do not want this church to be that for you, where you come in this place and you're always thinking, I've got to learn something else. I wonder when we're all going to do that. Because, you know, it'd be easy to come into a church that we've had slow but steady growth, slow but healthy growth. It'd be easy to come into a place like this and look around and think, okay, well, we're lacking things and start making judgments rather than just sitting back and, and continually experiencing the growth that is happening and stewarding it as it comes and, and us individually in a healthy position, rising up and expressing what's on our hearts and it fits. It just works when people do that. But if we come into this place and we're thinking, okay, well, where do we need to go now? And, and, and one day this place will be at this and, it, and it's like we start flipping into the, the addiction, the religion addiction mentality, and we totally lose value for what is happening. And, and, and we come in, and because we're thinking that there's something lacking because we're not where we think we're supposed to be, we miss the opportunity to realize this is a place that I can just come and worship. This is a place that I can just come and be encouraged and know that if it's never anything else, I'm okay with just being able to come in hear an encouraging, positive message of who I am in Christ, have some amazing worship, be around great people, and, and I'll, I'll stay for 50 years. I, I appreciate that about denominationalism, man. Those guys, they'll sit in the church for 50 years and be totally fine. I know I'm just, I'm just I've been gone for three weeks, so y'all got to put up with me getting everything out. Y'all okay? <laughs> am, am I just filling you up too much? I, really, at the end of this message, what I want us to be at a place is recognizing the paradox, recognizing that we're complete, yet we want to live toward this world with a deep purpose and a sense of expectation of things getting better, of seeing the increase of the kingdom, of discovering what your call is and walking it out every day and being totally confident that you are walking the path that God would call you to walk. But then again, being able to sit on the beach and enjoy it and do nothing and not have a sense of guilt. Maybe working a job that you feel like maybe this isn't what God really wants me to do and being, being content in that situation. Not having a sense of tension in you thinking that, okay, well, maybe one day I'm going to get to do this for the Lord, but being content where you are with the expectation without the tension. It's, it's a paradox. And it will be birthed in you as you stay at peace where you are, knowing who you are in Christ, yet experiencing exceedingly abundantly above what you can even imagine in this moment. You know, I, I, want, I want to put you at rest. I want to put you at peace. But then again, I want to incite a ferocious expectation to follow God in the middle of it as well. It's kind of like the reverse of it. Paul says, okay, don't sin. But if you do, we've got to navigate with the Father. You know, it's like, live your call. But if you don't, enjoy your life with God. And God's not going to change His mind one way or the other about you. And that's not an excuse to not pursue your call. It's just a shift in how you see yourself on this planet. Does that help you? Father, we just thank you. We thank you for the opportunity.
to represent you on this planet. God, teach us to enjoy every moment. Help us to just value and appreciate the little moments where we can sit with friends and family and, and not have that, that pulling toward the future. But in the moments where we are feeling pulled toward the future, it's not from a place of lack. It's from a place of completeness in you. And then we get to just follow you on this planet. I thank you that even in this moment, Lord, that our hearts are open. We're allowing your peace to rise up within us. We can take a deep breath and rest in you. But we're excited about representing you. Amen.